So I was, I was thinking this week, um, one, I'm also thinking it's funny how when the kids leave, there's all these open pockets, which is a great problem, by the way. Um, but I was thinking about how this week, how sometimes when you're growing up, things change in your life unexpectedly. When I was in eighth grade, I went and they did that annual vision test that you have to do at school, and I failed it by a mile. Um, it made sense because I had had to move to the front of different classes. And like when I went to church, they projected stuff on a wall and it'd be like a foot high, but I, I couldn't see it from the back row. Also a problem, by the way. Um, and so I, I promptly, then my mom took me to the eye doctor and we ordered a pair of glasses and they came in and I promptly wore them one day and then put them in a drawer. Um, and didn't wear them for a really long time because I played several sports when I was a kid. And have you noticed like if you're sweating and you wear glasses, they just fall off, right? It's awful. And and like today is kind of cool if you wear them, but it wasn't when I was a kid. And so I was thinking like I, the guys I thought of that were athletes, uh, one you maybe you've heard of, like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, right? So here's a picture of Kareem, right? That doesn't look all that cool. Um, and I'm not a seven foot black man. Like I, I can't pull that off. Um, I thought I looked more like his teammate, Kurt Rambis, um, and that's scary. So I didn't want to look like that, so I purposely didn't wear them all the time. And then I was in high school, and we were playing baseball, and, um, you know, glasses are helpful if you play in the outfield, because to see the ball earlier off the bat is a good thing, and I didn't usually play in the outfield, but at the beginning of the season, I had pitched a couple innings, and then they said, well, you're going to play in left field for the rest of the game today. I'm like, all right, that's fine. Um, and it was the first game of the season, and they're, you know, like that's when the field's not as it should be. Well, there happened to be a hole in the outfield that I didn't know was there. And so as I took off running late, because I didn't read the ball off the bat quick enough, I stepped in the hole and fell. And I got up, and then you're hurrying because you don't want to fall again, or you don't want to you know, not get to the ball. And I fell a second time. And then when I came to the dugout, our, our coach asked me, he said, um, when you fell twice out there, I was like, yeah, I know. I stepped in the hole the first time, and then I was just hurrying, and it happens. And, and he goes, um... You didn't get a very good jump on the ball either. I'm like, yeah. Um, he's like, did you see it? I'm like, well, you know, I, I, I mean, I saw it when it came out there. And he's like, do you wear glasses? And I was like, I have them. He goes, if you want to play anymore, you're going to wear them. So I started wearing them. And then I promptly went and got contacts not long after that. But, but the reality is I couldn't see well. Right? Sometimes our vision is just poor. Other times we feel like we're blind. Like there are times I walk through the church in the pitch black and I don't usually trip over anything, but every once in a while someone will move something. I don't love when that happens. That doesn't usually end well for me. But, but even when you think about when you have children, and maybe you're like me when they're little, you, you just go kind of tuck them in a second time when they're already asleep. You didn't want to wake them up, but you just you know, kiss them on the forehead or whatever. And, and I remember walking in our son's room numerous times and I'd walk in barefoot and I would walk in and his Legos would be on the floor and it's dark. And if you've stepped on a Lego in the middle of the night, you know the pain I'm talking about. It's awful, right? It's by virtue of being not able to see that you step on those things. And if he was older, you'd wake him up, make him pick him up right then, right? I mean, it's awful. I remember my dad did that once to us in the middle of the night, and we were, I was probably like 12, and he stepped on a toy in our room, and that's it. it woke us up. Uh, it wasn't the first time it had happened. It had happened numerous times. So... I was thinking about how we just don't see well often. And in fact, it happens in our faith too. We don't see well. There's a way God calls us to see the world, to reorient our lives. We've been talking this year about what does it look like for us to follow Jesus. We've acknowledged that in America, many people will say they're Christians or they believe in God. But then if you press them and go, have you reoriented your entire life around following Jesus? Well, no, I don't do that. Well, by definition, that's what it means to be a follower, a disciple of Jesus. To be a Christian means to reorient your entire life around him. 
And so what does it look like for us to do that, to have eyes to see the world as he sees the world, to begin to be the kind of people who have reoriented our entire life around following this person, Jesus? And the truth is, sometimes we need help being able to see. It's as if we need new glasses, or it's as if we're walking in the dark and don't see clearly. Like, both of those are true. In fact, here's what I would say today. The reality for us in this is that um, God invites us to see differently, to see the world in ways that we never did before. In fact, I would say in John chapter 9, there's a story that we're going to look at in just a moment, and we'll be there for, for most of today. But in John chapter 9, there's a story begins where John tells the story about what happens when a blind man encounters Jesus. But also in that story is this reality. Often we are blind to things we didn't know we were blind to before. And will we be humble enough to allow God to reshape the way in which we see the world? Are we so wrapped up in how we already see the world that Jesus can't speak to us? And that's really what this story speaks to. So here's what we find from John chapter 9, beginning with verse 1. As he went along, he saw a blind man from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open, they asked. He replied, The man they called Jesus made some mud, put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. Right, Joseph began with these words, as he went along. The thing we'll notice about Jesus is he just lives his life, and as he walks throughout his day, he encounters people that he might be able to invest in in unique ways. And as what we see, this is how Jesus sees the world. He's always looking, going, how can I invest in the lives of others as I go along? And then his disciples ask him this question, because in this moment, they find this blind man, they see him, and the assumption in that day is if you were born with a deficiency of some kind, in, in the ways like if you were handicapped or you were blind, then you or your parents must have sinned. But what Jesus says to them is this. It's not that this man sinned that he was born blind. It's just the reality of the world in which we live. It's called systemic sin or evil that exists in the world. It's not his individual sin that led to his blindness. And it's not necessarily his parents' fault either. And you're like, well, okay, that makes sense to us. Does it? Because here's the reality, we will use phrases in our day, if we're not careful to say the same thing, right? We'll, we'll use these phrases that aren't all, really, all that helpful. We'll say thing like, things like, everything happens for a reason. And here's what that implication of that is. Well, that meant God did that, and that was for God's purposes. But like, I have friends who, they had triplets, and they buried two of them at birth. Or my cousin was killed by a drunk driver at 18. Or my aunt died of cancer at 49, and... They never really did anything that was unhealthy. And you go, well, those things just happen. Well, that's what we'd say. That's the systemic evil and brokenness that exists in the world. It's not their individual sin. And so Jesus says of this man, it's not him or his parents sinned any differently than everyone else. 
But here's the reality. Why does that matter so much for us? Because if we buy into those other ideas, then we buy into this kind of like cosmic order that everything balances out. That's called karma, and that's not a practice of Christianity. That's something else. And so what we begin to say is this. We don't always understand God's goodness or the mystery of God. In fact, we talk about divine mystery. We don't know why God sometimes functions in certain ways, but we believe that John is accurate when he says God is love, and if it's not love, it isn't from God. And so for us, we begin to see in this story that there's inviting us to look at this, to come to the place where we, we recognize this, that present disability is not always correlated to previous sin. What's that mean then? Right, yes, often if we make good or wise decisions, we get good or wise results. Often if we make poor decisions, we get poor results. Makes sense. But sometimes you can make wise decisions and still get bad results. That's the reality for us. And we know that in our lives, we'd begin to talk about our lives. We'd see that over and over again. We'd say, well, if that wasn't true, right, then people who are corrupt in terms of business wouldn't make so much money, but they do. Right? That's not saying that that's always a correlation to the goodness of God in that. That's not how God works in the world. Right? So I love these words of N.T. Wright as he comments on this passage. He writes this, Something much stranger, at once more mysterious and more hopeful, is going on. The chaos and misery of this present world is, it seems, the raw material out of which the loving, wise, and just God is making his new creation. Right? Jesus heals this man and tells his hearers that he's the one who has come to bring life. Right? It's an echo of what we'll talk about in just a few moments of John chapter 1, but what we see next is this, this statement from those who knew this guy. And so we, we knew this man over and over again. This can't be him. He's so radically changed. Right? Like, this can't be the blind man. We knew he was begging, and now he's walking around. This cannot be the same guy. He has been so transformed, so changed. This isn't him. And others are like, well, I think it's still him. I think this is still the same guy. And right, here's where we, we say it in our own lives. Have you ever met someone, maybe like that kind of kid who screwed around in school growing up, and all of a sudden he's super successful later in life, and you're like, that can't be the same kid that I sat next to in math class, right? That's not him. There's no way he did that. But here's the reality for us. We also have encountered other people that because they have been so transformed by God, they're like, man, that can't be the same person. Who they are is so different. Right? This week I sat in meetings from Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday for about 12 hours each day. Um, Sunday afternoon, Monday, and Tuesday. And we sat and we interviewed 42 people. Um, there were one-hour interviews interviewing people about the, this call to ministry that they had and they talked with their pastor from their local church. And we just listened to their stories and so forth hours we sat and listened to stories and I heard the same story in multiple forms from multiple people. Here's the story I kept kept hearing. Things like this. I used to be a drug addict and I encountered Jesus and I was so radically changed that he'd want me to tell my story to people and it changed their life. Or I had hit such rock bottom that my family was no longer helping me and I was in a homeless shelter and I got to the place where I encountered Jesus in a way that had changed everything. Or I had been abused 
So much so that I didn't know my value or worth, and I encountered Jesus, and my life was transformed, and now I get to tell other people about that. Again and again and again, I listened to stories that God took people that other people might have said, I don't know that, that God can redeem you in that way, and their life has been turned upside down so much so that they now are telling other people about what God has done in their life. I kept listening to people who lived lives that were as wild as they possibly could live it, who had been reoriented by choosing to follow Jesus, that everything, they'd submitted their life to him, and people would, who knew them, their family and friends would go, people would never guess who I am today. And this is what happens to the blind man. He has encountered Jesus, and he is so radically transformed. So for you and I, what happens if we would submit ourselves to the transforming work of Jesus? What would happen if, as he says, he illuminates that leads to life, we allowed his light to shine into our lives? Because when the light of Jesus shines into the darkest places of our life, we can be and will be radically changed if we allow God to work in and through us. But here's the catch as we find as we continue on in chapter 9. Not everyone likes those changes. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. They still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight. Until they sent for the man's parents, is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? We know that he is our son, the parents answered. It's also good that his parents knew they was their kid. That's a good thing. And we know he was born blind. But how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, he is of age, ask him. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I do know, I was blind. But now I see. Then they asked him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I've told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, You are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses. But as for this fellow, we don't even know what, where he comes from. The man answered, Now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody's ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him a couple weeks ago, Pastor Matt talked about Sabbath and how God created us for rest as well, to work and to rest and how rest matters. And so what we see in the beginning of this text is these Pharisees knew that God had called people to rest, but they had so twisted what had been a really good thing and made it something that it was never intended to be. They had added rules to rules so that you did it the right way. 
right? So much so that they got to where, like, you couldn't mix anything on the Sabbath. So, like, if he was telling people to mix mud with water, oh, no, that's called work. You can't do that on the Sabbath. So, in other words, you could do the only healing things you could do for someone on the Sabbath, their Saturday, was this. Um, if they were dying, you could try to save them. So if your kid was sick, you couldn't give them cough syrup. If, you know, like those things were not allowed because that would be a form of work. So you couldn't do that. You had to wait. But there's all kinds of other things. If we're not careful, we can twist what is good and we can twist it and make it bad, right? I could, I could talk about dessert. Dessert's a really good thing, right? Most of you would agree with that, right? Dessert's a good thing. Um, but if you have too much of it, it can lead to diabetes or obesity, or it can just make you feel really bad. Like that second piece of pie was probably one too many, right? Like, you know, in your stomach, you just don't feel that good. Like that, that's taking a good thing and twisting it. Or we can talk about sex. Sex in the context of marriage is a good thing, and God created it for that. But outside of that, it's joining and breaking people apart. It's destructive and disruptive, and it messes with us, right? A good thing twisted is no longer a good thing. And so I don't know we can go about things that in excess, or if they're twisted, they no longer are good. And so the Pharisees, who desperately want to follow God in this moment, they, rather than seeing a thing to be saying, thanks be to God, this guy was blind, but now he can see, they're upset because it didn't happen the way they believe God worked. They had worked so hard to put God in a box that they had pushed aside when God may have working beyond the system in which they had created Right, so the Pharisees called the man, formerly known as blind, uh, to come after they called his parents. His parents were scared and like, ah, we don't want to say anything. And so this man comes to them and they ask him a second time. And here's what we see in the text, verse 24. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. Talking about Jesus. He replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I See, this guy doesn't know everything about Jesus, and he's not trying to say he does. But I love his response. He's like, ah, there's lots I don't know about him. Like, who he is, I don't know. But I know this. I used to be like this. I couldn't see. But he has opened my eyes, and now I can. So what do you think this man is? It's an incredible picture for you and I that, that maybe you're like, I want to tell people what Jesus has done in my life, but you're scared to say you don't have enough answers. You don't have to tell them everything you don't know, but you can tell them what you do know. And the impact of that might be dramatic. In fact, other people might change their lives. And so this guy speaks with boldness. And then he says this next. He goes, well, good things come from God. We know that, right? And, and God doesn't listen to the prayers of sinners, which we would say, like, God hears the prayers of sinners, but he's often not going to respond unless we come from a repentant heart. And so he says to these guys, who are the religious people of the day, you and I both know, that if God wasn't at work in this, there's no way I would go from blind to being able to see. Like, it's not going to happen without the work of God. It isn't going to happen. And so what he's saying to them is this. You have created a system in which God lives in your box. But God can't be contained in the systems and the boxes that we try to create. They're unwilling to see God work in a new way. They're unwilling to have their eyes open. They're unwilling to put on glasses. They're unwilling to have a light turned on in a dark room. They're unwilling to be transformed by who God actually is, because they've decided this must be how God acts. And then we see what happens next after the man gets thrown out, being in verse 35. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? Who is he, sir? The man asked, tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you've now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. 
Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What, are we blind too? Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. That last verse there has messed with me all week. I've been thinking about it all week long. Because what he's saying is this, you people who are religious people, you are convinced that you know how God works in the world, but what you actually are is you're blind to who God is. And so I was thinking about how if we're not careful, you and I, we can recreate Jesus in our image. We can recreate his kingdom in the image of the way we think the world should work. And here's an example of how this has worked over the past few thousand years. So bear with me for just a few moments. Um, From scripture, people have argued for centuries about a couple different things. We've argued for politics and economics. We've argued that that, you know, monarchies are good, or republics, or democracies, or socialism is good. We've argued for capitalism. We've argued for all these things from the scriptures. And here's the reality. You can make a good argument for any of those things. We've argued for slavery rather than fair wages. Right? We, we can make arguments from the Bible for all of those things, but they're not the point of the Bible. Right? If you notice in church history, if you go back and look at the way churches function, often the, the structure of churches follows the structure of the day, of the systems of that current day, over and over again. That's why the Roman Catholic Church functions the way it functions, because Caesar existed when the Catholic Church was started. If we were to talk about art, if we go back and look at pictures of Jesus over the centuries, he, it looks like the people who painted him. Whatever culture it was, he looks like that, over and over and over again. Here's the temptation in all of that. We can recreate Jesus and his kingdom to fit what we already see. And we're not careful, then it won't be shaped by who Jesus actually is and what we find in the Gospels. It'll be more shaped by the culture and the world around us. Here's how I would say this simply. If Jesus sounds like me and looks like me and sees the world like me, I may not be following Jesus, but I may be following myself. So begs the question for you and I is this, am I blind to who he is and who he is calling me to be? And so I was thinking about this question this week, like, am I more digitally shaped than I am, like, shaped by the Gospels? And here's, here's what I mean. I, I would love to say that it's only young people who look at their phones. Like, the numbers are just as staggering for older adults. So if you're like, oh, those young people, it's old people too. Um, or maybe it's our televisions or whatever it is. All those things that we consume day in and day out, like if we leave it on one channel, right, if SportsCenter or political news or whatever is the only channel you watch, you're going to begin to sound like the channel you watch. If you're only on social media, you're going to be shaped by the algorithm that is put in front of you. If you're only this or you find yourself enwrapped in these things, it will shape you. But what might happen if you and I recognize that that's what happened to the Pharisees, the systems they had created, they were stuck in and were no longer open to hearing where God may have been leading them. They were blind, even though they could see. That's the reality for you and I, too, if we're not careful. If we're not careful, we'll be shaped by the systems of our world so much so that we'll miss when God begins to speak to us and in us and through us. And so here's the challenge for us. Will we begin to honestly see how we see the world? Will we begin to spend so much time with Jesus and his gospels that it shapes us who we are the way we speak and act and live, will we allow his spirit to open our eyes to see the world from his perspective rather than the perspective that we often find just makes sense because we grew up with it? 
This is hard, by the way. It's really easy to be so shaped by the world in which we live that we don't even realize we're being shaped by it. It takes us stepping back and going, God, I don't know, man. Like, if, if you think Jesus is all the way left or all the way right, you're probably not following Jesus. This is the challenge for you and I. Are we going to submit to him as Lord of our life and not the other voices that we see all around us? Are we going to find that he is calling us to be his unique people, to see the world from his perspective, to have kingdom lenses, to have a new vision for who God is and what God may want to do in the world? If we don't do that, then you and I are creating another box to try to put God inside. If we begin to live from the place that God is love and he desires to see the entire world transformed through love, then we might just find we're on the right track. Because if we're not careful, I know I can be. I look back on my own life and I think, I used to think this, I used to believe this, I used to, and I go, man, I'm so glad God has continued to change me because who I was and what I have done, I don't see the world the same anymore. And I would love to say, I believe it's because God's spirit continues to transform me. If you and I will continue to allow his spirit to transform us, we will see the world more and more from his perspective. It's the idea that his light would illuminate our minds and our hearts so that we would see the world differently. It's what John wrote at the beginning of his gospel. Here's what John started with. He said this, verse 4, or chapter 1, In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, though the world was made through him. The world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own. By the way, that would be like the church of his day. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. And John goes on to write in, in 1 John chapter 1, here's what we find. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie. You know, live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. What if you and I became humble about the way in which we even saw the world? What if you and I began to live in the place where we said, God, I so desperately want to see the world as you see the world. I want to see people as you see people. I want to love as you love. Will you open my eyes to the ways in which I fall short of that? That requires a humility for you and I to live into that. It's hard. Because we have all kinds of preconceived notions or things that we believe or think only to go like, well, God, is that how you think? Will you help me to see as you see? Right? It's why I love the line of the blind man in this story. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. When our life is so radically transformed and our eyes are open to something new, what does that look like? I, I was thinking about the story, uh, maybe you know the story of John Newton. Uh, John Newton was an Anglican priest, um, and he was a, um, a poet, and so we'll talk about a poem he wrote here in just a few moments. But John Newton um, grew up and he was a slave trader. Sold slaves. That's what he did. 
In fact, at one point, he got, his, his shipmates didn't like him so much that they left him, and he became a slave himself, and eventually they rescued him. But, but then he went straight back into the slave trade again, captaining ships with slaves. And John had this moment where he was off the coast of Ireland, and he didn't think they were going to make it to the port. And so he began praying, saying, God, if you're real, I'll follow you if you get me to the port. Right? And so they made it back. And so he's like, okay, I made this commitment. I guess I'm in. I'll, I'll, follow, I'll follow Jesus. But he kept on slave, trading slaves. And then when he no longer was a sea captain, he kept on investing in the slave trade again. Even though he said he was going to follow Jesus. And so then what happened is, as he began to follow Jesus, he began to read the scriptures more and more. He actually went to school and began to study Christian theology. As a grown man, he went back to school. And then God opened his eyes to what he was doing in terms of the slave trade. And he began to talk about what that actually looked like. And he repented of the life he had lived. And he felt such grief and conviction about who he had been that he spent the rest of his life working for, as an abolitionist to end the slave trade. Because he talked about how dehumanizing it actually was and how these are still people that Jesus died to save. This man was one thing. He was all in. He invested his money in it and his time and his resources. But after he had an encounter with Jesus, he, he believed God was real. But his eyes weren't all the way open. He didn't have new glasses yet. But when he had new glasses, when we began to see differently, when the lights were finally turned on and God's spirit was working in his heart, he goes, I have to back all the way away from this. What I thought was okay, the way I saw the world, just isn't right. And he talked about the graciousness of God, who even though he didn't see the world as God saw the world, when God opened his eyes and began to see the world as God saw the world, he knew how far from God he had been. And he was so thankful for God's graciousness. In fact, here's the song that you probably know. He wrote as a poem that got turned into a song, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound, that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found was blind, but now I see. See, if we're not careful, we can live in such a way that God desires desperately to open our eyes the way he wants us to see the world. But it's hard for us sometimes because sometimes it requires letting go of what we thought we knew and trusting that God's spirit, the work he's doing in our heart, what love begins to look like, it changes us. And so I don't know your life, and you probably don't know all of mine, but I, you and I, if we were to submit to God and say, God, I know who I've been is not great in certain ways, but sometimes I don't even know it. And so will your grace not only forgive me, but will you help me to see with your vision, will you be the light that goes before me so I don't have to walk in darkness? Will you help me, will you uncover my eyes so I can see as you see, so I can see people and the world from the perspective of your kingdom and not everything else? What we find is this, the grace of God is more than sufficient. If God can take a slave trader who, who in the midst of that, John Newton would talk about that people died on his ships because of what he did. If he can take him and forgive him and repurpose him to lead to the, the ending of slavery, partner William Wilberforce was a part of that, Ending the slave trade in England. What might happen in our lives if we partnered with God? We allowed him to illuminate our hearts and our minds. What might happen if he opened our eyes? So we pray with me as the praise team comes. We'll sing this song together. Father, we thank you for the way your grace extends to us beyond what we could ever ask or imagine. We're thankful that you see us clearly, even when we don't see ourselves or this world clearly. 
We'd ask that today you might help us to become your unique people, so radically transformed by your goodness and by your grace and by your love, that we really would find that by that we could permeate every aspect of our lives. That our homes and our schools and our workplaces would look more and more like your kingdom. That you would help us to speak truth and love with graciousness and honesty and humility. And so, Father, we know that so often we fall short of who you're calling us to be. But would you help us to have eyes that are open to see when we've tried to put you in boxes, when we live like Pharisees that twist good things and make them not so good things. So, Father, help us today that we might find our hope in you, that our life might be purposed in you, that you might be what drive who we are. And so, Father, we ask today that you'd help us to be the kind of people who are so wrapped up in your grace, that we'd recognize that we too may have been a wretch, but you have saved us. We too may have been blind, but now we see. We pray this all in your son Jesus' name. Amen.